Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 105. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brain. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brain. Podcast. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, his wife says he sleeps with his eyes open. Pat Flynn. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true. She's taken pictures and I've seen them and um, they're quite frightening, actually. But anyway, what's up, everybody? I'm so happy you're here. We have a great episode with our special guest, Brian Kelly, over at whatthespeak.com. He hosts a show that features uh, you know, a lot of experts and a lot of insight on how to better present yourself, how to better speak and pitch, which is something that we all do, whether we're selling products or not, whether we're on stage or not. We are always presenting ourselves. We're always pitching something, trying to get people to take some sort of action. That itself is a pitch. And so I really, really love this interview because Brian not only brings a lot of his own experiences and actually pulls a lot from what I've done on stage, um, talking about these these tactics that work, but also he he pulls a lot of information from from science to sort of prove or help us better understand why things work the way they work. And I feel like the more we can understand why things are working and what happens in our brains when, you know, people speak or when they pitch, um, you know, it can it can only help us all. So why don't we just dive right into today's interview? Again, this is Brian Kelly over at whatthespeak.com. He's going to help us understand how to really get into the heads of our audience so that we can better influence them and make change in their lives, which will result in change in ours as well. So everybody, let's get right to it. This is Brian Kelly from whatthespeak.com. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, Pat. I am uh, really, really excited to be on the show. I'm a big fan and uh, you always have such great information to share and uh, I'm excited to be able to contribute to that. Well, thank you. I mean, I know after this episode, people are going to have even more great information in their brains. And speaking of brains, we're going to be talking a lot about the neuroscience behind things like audience engagement. Really, the purpose of this, um, I mean, we're going to get into your story a little bit and talk about what to speak as well. But, you know, what, what's going on in our brains that can help us better speak, better present, or better pitch stuff? And it, it's not just on stage either. I'm sure it's, it's anytime you are 
creating content, how can you best make an impact on those who you are creating that content for in whatever format? So I'm really, really excited to get into that. But before that, Brian, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about who you are and, and what, what it is that you do? Yeah, sounds good. Well, uh, as, as Pat mentioned, I run a blog, a podcast really, that's called What the Speak. And I bring on different guests who are either keynote speakers, presentation coaches, presentation designers, neuroscientists, psychologists, performance coaches, you name it, anything that has to do with any aspect of getting up in front of an audience and sharing your message. I bring those people on the show and we dive into their story, what, uh, what it is that got them into this particular career path. And then we also talk about their unique expertise because everybody's got very interesting stories when it comes to the things that they've learned and the things that they've incorporated into the art and science of their presentations. And so it's really fascinating to be able to dive into that, break it down, and uncover some really helpful, actionable nuggets that we can all use in our presentations. And so I'm a big, big geek when it comes to this area. Uh, Pat, I know you kind of share a similar affinity for giving presentations. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that for years, you know, I've been giving uh, talks at different industry conferences and other opportunities to get up in front of an audience and, and share my message, my ideas, products, services, whatever it is that I'm, I'm trying to share or sell. And for a long time, I was getting questions where people would say, Brian, you make that look so effortless. Like, how do you do that? And I was like, well, it's, it's not that effortless. Like, I've been doing this for a long time and I've gone through a lot of practice, rehearsal, refining, preparation, you name it. And, you know, th th it's something that you just can't snap your finger and all of a sudden you're a great presenter. And then I would also share tips with people. They'd come up to me and say, hey, you know, I've got a presentation next week. Is there anything you know, that you'd recommend? And so I started creating little, little tips and tricks, so to speak. And I thought, gosh, you know, it would be great to be able to share this, not only my, my insights, but collective insights of so many people that are skilled in this area and then share that with my audience. And, and that's been a blast to be able to do. And we launched the podcast in December. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the success. I mean, I was on your show. I had a fantastic time. And I see at this moment in time, you're up to episode 51 with Nick Unsworth, who's a good friend of mine. So it's really cool. Again, that's whatthespeak.com. So check it out there. Um, you know, before we even get to you know, delivering high caliber presentations or just delivering a, a beautiful presentation uh, or speaking in front of an audience, why should people consider speaking in front of an audience. And I know for me, I had the toughest time getting over that fear. Um, and, and I personally love to do it because I just now since starting have fallen in love with it. And I think, you know, not a lot of people would necessarily fall in love with it. But why should people even consider getting up on stage versus just kind of staying, you know, on, on your blog or, or, you know, even just behind the mic on a podcast? Well, it takes your interaction with the audience. Maybe it's, maybe it's your existing audience. Maybe it's an audience of people who have never even heard of you. And you be, you're able to develop this connection with them unlike any other medium. So one thing that comes to mind right away is one of my first guests that I had on the podcast when we launched it was Jeff Goins from GoinsWriter.com. And he shares his story about how he just wanted to be a writer. And that's, I mean, that's what he, he blogs about is writing. And he was kind of encouraged, I think, by a mentor 
to go and just try this out. And so he was deathly afraid, very nervous to go out and do this thing. And he actually shares that story and, and, and kind of reveals that it was slightly a bit of a disaster, but it ended up being okay. And he realized in that moment that I'm making a connection with these people unlike any other way that I might be able to do that. And so it's a very powerful opportunity for you to do that and, and layer that with all the other things. So if you've got a blog, if you've got a podcast, if you're doing webinars, one other layer to all of those things to make a connection is to get out there and share your message and your expertise and, and be able to give back to folks in a way that gets them excited about taking action on those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say there's nothing, I mean, I, I the podcast is so powerful with connecting with people, but you know, they always say nothing is like meeting people in person and speaking to them. And uh, you know, you're just able to share all everything about you with everybody up on stage. Everybody's there to watch you and you can speak and you can share emotion and you can um, teach at the same time. And there's, there's really nothing like it. And so how do we hold an audience's attention the whole time? I know personally, I've been to presentations, for example, where I will, I'll start to yawn and I'll just kind of doze off or I'll find myself tapping on my computer just for whatever reason, I'm not really intrigued anymore. How can you help us solve that problem? Well, Pat, I mean, that is the problem because really when it comes down to it, these days especially, we're all bombarded by so many different things. And even when we're sitting in a presentation, we've got our smartphones or our tablets handy. And if the presenter is not holding our attention, we're off to the next thing. And so the danger is very high for those of us that stand before audiences. Question is, how do you do this? Well, there's five principles that I've kind of pulled together that we can talk through today sure. that come from the latest cognitive neuroscience. And you know, to make that easy and a little bit more uh, down to earth, we'll just call it brain science. Um, so it's like, well, why brain science? Well, it's because this stuff has been proven through research. Uh, a lot of folks like Patricia Wolf, Dr. John Medina, Eric Jensen, David Sousa, Ruth Clark, the list goes on and on. These are all, all researchers that have shown some of the ways that we can apply these principles and uh, to, to really an effective use. So the bottom line is, in order to keep the attention of our audience, we want them to be learning. And we re this, this whole process of learning while you're, you're participating as an audience member in the presentation is key. And when you do this, your audience will then be primed to take action on the message, the ideas, whatever it is. And, you know, maybe you're selling something. They will take action on this if you incorporate these five principles that we're going to go through. So before I get to that, I do want to also mention, Pat, that the thing that is really key and foundational to leveraging the five principles I'm going to talk about with you is understanding that somebody's prior knowledge is something that we seriously have to consider. What are the experiences that they've gone through or the things that they've learned that they can connect and compare with the information that you're presenting to them? And when they do this, it will be integrated into their long-term memory. And that's how they begin to really take action on what that message is. All right. So when you can talk about things that people can relate to or that they perhaps experienced before, they're going to be paying more attention. But over the long term, they're going to be able to remember 
those things much longer and actually feel compelled to take action on whatever it is that you're teaching. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And, you know, Pat, I know when, when you've given various presentations that I've, I've seen, you always do this right out of the gate. You, you find some type of common ground with you and the audience and right out of the gate, they're paying attention. And one, one thing that comes to mind was I know I saw you give uh, one of the breakout session presentations at New Media Expo this last January. And the first thing that you started with was you played a song by, I think it was New Kids on the Block. No, no, Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys, that's right. Backstreet Boys. Not, we're not going that far back. We're just going back a little ways to the Backstreet Although Boys. they did tour together and I did see that concert, but that's neither, neither here nor there. That's uh, another podcast episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but the cool thing was like right out of the gate, you said, you, you asked the audience, raise your hand if you know this song. Mm-hmm. And almost everybody, I would say, in that audience knew the song. Right. It was one of whether, the most popular yeah, uh, Whether we, we like to admit it or not, we all know this song. <laughs> and so right from the gate, you know, right, you know, right from that very first moment, the audience or, you know, us as the audience are paying attention like, all right, like, yeah, okay, I remember that song. And then now Pat's relating this to, you know, his story and how does this relate to me? And you start getting pulled into and drawn into that story, that message that you're trying to communicate. It's very powerful powerful technique to use well thank you. i mean that's something i sort of learned from my speaking coach you know to you could th- there's a, a, a number of great ways to start and you want to start by like you said just really getting connected with the audience for me that was sort of having people sort of raise their hand and, li- and actually listen that was their first job was to listen so they're actually paying attention and they have a task to do right away right at the beginning and then when people raise their hand and most do because they know that song they're already participating and they're already sort of subconsciously I guess you could say just focused and ready to go on to the next thing and of course like you said I went deeper into the story I added some humor in there as well showed a video that's something I love to do especially for me selfishly because I get really nervous at presentations and I think having a video at the beginning allows me to uh, just sort of calm down a little bit and especially if the video is good and pertinent um, you know, they'll laugh and and mm-hmm. it'll and 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 I'll that'll make me feel more comfortable, so that when the video's over, I can I I I already feel like I've done something useful and, and good, and I I feel comfortable personally. Well, and the great thing too is for for those in the audience that may be thinking, oh man, I'm really not that good getting in front of a group of people and presenting these kinds of things. And Pat, just like you explained, that sets you at ease, and when you feel at ease and when you feel comfortable, it allows you to be able to continue going on. And, and when you feel like you're, you're not, not at that place, that's when you get really nervous and that's when things start falling apart. Mm-hmm. So these things, they, they help your audience and that's the most important thing. But they also you know, kind of mutually help you to be able to feel like, you're, you know, hey, I'm going down the right path with this. The audience is engaging with this information. It, it feels good to you to be able to share those things and, and share your story and have that connect with the audience. Totally. Even if you even if you aren't speaking yet, you can use those same principles in your blog posts. Exactly. Start with a story. I mean, I love starting with stories or start with a question that you know people are going to say yes to. Have you ever felt this? Yes. Well, I'm going to keep reading then, you know. It's brilliant. 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 All right. So the the whole thing before I get into this, I got an acronym for you guys. It's going to be awesome. But the last thing I want to say is kind of a setup to this is to explain the definition of learning. 
So I thought this was a really good definition uh, that one of the uh, the researchers had kind of put forth, and it says that an active, you know, that learning is an active process that takes place in the working memory as the learner abstracts meaning and connects this with existing knowledge to then stick in the long-term memory. And we're going to break that down in just a, a minute here, but that's the thing that I want you guys to be able to, to walk away from uh, during this episode is that really it's all about learning and when the audience member, whether it's you're speaking publicly or you're, you're writing a blog post or doing an online video, the learner has to understand what that is and connect it to what's important to them or what they value or the problem that they need a solution to. And when it does that, that's when they'll remember what you shared and it will stick with them. And they'll, sh- they'll very likely share it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the acronym I've got is called SPLAT. SPLAT, <laughs> nice. S-P-L-A-T. And we're going to break down each one of these letters in the acronym. But, you know, why SPLAT? Okay, well, think of your brain as a blender. And let's say, we're, you know, we're going to make a smoothie. We put a bunch of stuff into the blender. We hit the button and we forget to put the lid on. And everything, all the ingredients go SPLAT. Well, this is exactly how our brains operate. Information comes into our brain from all the different senses, senses, the five senses. Then it goes to the center of our brain, which is called the thalamus, and it goes splat. It gets sent to all the different parts of the brain that are responsible for different areas. So just kind of a, a, a little device to help you remember this stuff. So splat, that's all about the presentation brain science. So the S in SPLAT first is safety allows for learning. Safety. Safety. Explain. So attendees have to feel safe in this environment, whether you know it's in person or it's on a webinar or they're not going to be open to any new ideas. So one of the ways that you can do this is to set expectations or give parameters or give them a, a, a roadmap, so to speak, of where you're going to be going during the course of this presentation or the course of the content that you're going to be sharing. It makes them feel at ease. You know, there's nothing that's going to set them off and, and, and make them feel uncomfortable in that environment. So the neuroscience behind this basically shows us that the information from the five senses goes to the center of our brain first, and then it decides what part of the brain to go after that point. Now, we've got this default system that's part of what they call our primitive brain, and that's the amygdala. It's this tiny little P-shaped portion of our brain. And this is responsible for emotional outbursts. So if we get ambushed or somebody pushes our buttons, this gets set off. And when that gets set off, our bodies are flooded with adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And when this happens, we can't think straight. So in order for somebody to feel comfortable, we've got to make sure that we're not setting that amygdala off. Now, one way that I see a lot of people doing this is they start their presentation off and they say, we're going to be having some interactive discussions during the course of this presentation. And all of us start to cringe Mm -hmm. and we feel like, oh, I hate group discussions. (laughs) You know, that's just one example of what you don't want to do. You don't want to set somebody off because... Um, you know, at a base level, it takes 20 minutes 
for somebody's system to clear of this adrenaline. And Pat, you know, you may have been in this situation. I know I've definitely been in this situation when my, you know, emotional ambush happens. You know, maybe it's a, a relative, my wife, whoever, a coworker. They know how to push my buttons, and I can't think straight. The, the research has shown us that if we've got ten options to solve a problem, and this this you know alarm goes off, and we get flooded with adrenaline, we lose eight of those ten options. Yeah, I can see that happening. You know, when you get in a heated situation or you are just upset or whatever, it's it's really hard to think straight and to think logically sometimes. Um, and I really love what you said there because I've been in presentations that have said just that. Hey guys, uh, during this presentation, we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of group work together. And yeah, you're right. Immediately, you're thinking about okay, well, who am I gonna be working with? You look at the people around you. Uh, maybe maybe this person might not be able to contribute as much, and you start thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking of right at the beginning and, exactly. and your defense is up. I've also been to ones with that say um, something like, hey, get ready because I might call on you during the presentation. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst thing to do. And, right? and I'm like, uh, like, yes, I understand the sort of theory behind that. You want people to pay attention so they're not called on and they don't know the answer perhaps, but um, that does make people feel unsafe. You're right. Yeah, and and so the reason why this is first as we go through the rest of our acronym here is we'll see that the important thing is you want to get people involved and you want to get them engaged, but you don't tell them that's what's going to happen. You kind of weave it in naturally and organically. Again, going back to the example that I mentioned earlier with your presentation, Pat, was you just ask a simple question. Raise your hand if you know this song. Mm -hmm. You didn't say, I'm going to call on you guys and see if you know what this song is. Or, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask one of you to tell me what exactly the title of this song is. You know, you, you did it in a way that was almost like people didn't even think about it. They said, oh, okay, listen to the song. Oh, I know this song. And they raised their hands. So right. there's ways that you can engage the audience, which is very, very important. But you don't want to do it in a way that sets off this, you know, aspect of them feeling like they're being ambushed. Sure. So safety... I like what you said about giving them a roadmap. That's something that I always try to do. And in that particular presentation, if you were there, I have a triangle and I say, okay, during this presentation, we're going to go from this tri this part of the triangle to this one, this one to this one, and then we'll get to the top. So people knew exactly where they were at all times. It's like if you're in a car and you have your smartphone out or your, your GPS out and it tells you you have 10 miles left till you get to your destination, well, you feel good. You know where you're headed and how far you have left to drive. So I really like that. I also like making sure people aren't going to be sort of scared or timid getting into the presentation, especially right at the beginning. And another thing I like to do is I like to put myself out there and sort of be vulnerable so I can be on the same level as people. I'm not I'm not this big guy who's trying to teach people something and I'm the king. You know, I'm one of them. That That's another way that I like to make people feel safe. And I'll often... Um, you know, start on the podium. And then when I start to get into the content, I'll walk and physically come down to the everybody's level and just sort of be there with them. Yeah. I mean, those are all great things. And, and that's, I mean, Pat, I've seen you pack a room and those types of things and the, the attention that you give to that is the kind of thing that is inviting. People want to hear what you have to say because they know that you're going to do it. You're, not only are you going to give them great content, Right? I mean, there's plenty of speakers out there that have great content, but you deliver it in a way that people just want to participate in that. And that's, that's really key, especially for those of you that really want to either start doing this you know, with your presentations or any type of content that you're delivering. 
Uh, and it's, it's very, very helpful. Now, the other thing I should mention too is for you guys, this whole acronym, you can take notes, I'm sure, but I've got a little infographic PDF that if you go to whatthespeak.com slash pat, you can get that right then and there and have that as a handy little reference uh, for future use. So just wanted to mention that to you. Awesome. Thank you for that. You bet. All right. So P, let's talk about the P in SPLAT. Well, P stands for problem solving and problem solving is learning. The reason why is that we're all problem centric. We are not people who are interested in content per se. You know, we're not content centric. We want to learn something in order to solve a problem. It's that simple. It, we don't want to just learn something for the sake of learning it. I mean, maybe there's a few of us out there that love to learn. But usually when we're coming to an expert, we want to solve a problem. They've got the answer. We want to get it. So that's very important to realize. Now, what happens oftentimes is in a presentation, we just do an information dump. We just say, here's all the facts. Here's all the data. Here's all the steps that you need. And that's important. But it's got to be wrapped in something to where we start to think through ourselves. How does this apply to what I'm doing? So all of your content should be geared around answering problems. This is what's going to hook your audience. And you want your audience thinking right out of the gate, how do I apply this to my challenge? So bottom line is learning needs to be active. Mm -hmm. Um, One way that you can do this is, we touched upon this just a moment ago, is to to create something like a learner objective, learner outcomes, whatever it is where it's that roadmap. Here's where we're going. When you tell the audience to look for X, the brain goes, I should look for X. And what this is really interesting is that the brain actually puts a chemical stamp on this information, so to speak, and says, when you find this information, realize that it is important. Hmm. So going the next level beyond this and how cool this is, is what happens is when... The brain says, aha, I found X. It releases dopamine into our bodies. So you actually get a chemical positive feeling from this by realizing, hey, this is what I was supposed to be looking for. I found it. And that process of learning is what really makes people feel good. And we want people walking away from our presentations feeling high, high because they learned something. Mm-hmm. So one way that I, I usually tell people or coach people on how to apply this whole idea of problem solving and building that into your presentation, your webinar, whatever it is, is to dedicate at least one third of that presentation to allowing your audience to think about the content, to reflect on it, to try and make sense of it, to try and make meaning out of it. And the really great way to do this is to ask questions or you know, Pat, one thing that I, I know that you've also done a really good, great job with is you build into your presentation at least one or two of these tweetables where you give them a statement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you say you have the little uh, Twitter icon, I think, and I think you put your hash or your, uh, your Twitter handle or whatever it is. Yes. And people are like, oh, this is important. This is a statement that if there's one thing I'm gonna, I should get out of this presentation, it's probably this. And they start thinking about that and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, this, oh, this completely sums it up really well. 
and this is what it means to me and this is how I might be able to apply this principle to what it is that I'm doing. So it's a very simple trick to just weave this in to your presentation to create these opportunities, these little pockets where you give them time to think. Another way is to just do a quick little uh, discussion. So again, you don't want to go back and say right from the get-go, hey, we're going to have group discussion. But you can put it out there and say, hey, real quick, this is what we just talked about. Turn to the person to the left or the right of you, maybe in front of you or behind you, and just say, you know, what was the most important thing that resonated with you for this portion of the presentation? And most people, they'll turn and, and they'll start talking about it and talking it through and they, they begin to retain this information. So it's really important to allow them to wrap their heads around these problems that they have and how they can apply your content. I love that. I actually noticed that in Chris Ducker's presentation at New Media Expo. He had people three different times talk after three different sections of his presentation to each other, in and around yep. each other. And it was really powerful um, because you know the whole room is buzzing and everybody's sharing stuff. They're taking something they learn and actually are applying it to their own businesses. They're solving problems, taking the content that they just listened to and p- applying it to themselves. But I also think it, it was really cool because just the way Chris did it specifically um, in those different three sections, it sort of marked the sort of the end of one section or the beginning of another. So when people stopped talking and Chris sort of calmed everybody down, Everybody was like back in their seats, buzzed yep. from talking and, and ready to pay attention um, to, to what was happening next. Well, and that energy is so good. It, it, people get excited about it subconsciously. And when they can start to interact with the content, so to speak, through discussion and dialogue and, and allowing them to internalize it, that's when you know that you've got something good versus just lecturing for 60 minutes plus and you don't know if, if they're getting it or not. So it's, it's a very good barometer. Right. Now, in terms of problem solving, can this be applied? You know, I can, I can we, we sort of talked about it being applied to the whole of the presentation. What is the transformation that people are going to go through? What's the problem that you're solving with whatever it is that you're teaching? But can it also be applied to just a, a specific section, like having people actually solve individual sort of problems? I guess you said it already, you know, ask questions. So actually having people think about what they're doing, not just, I guess that's the main theme, you know, right? Just not having people yeah. just take it in and there it is and maybe exactly. goes in the blender and comes out yeah. again, but they're actually applying it in one way or another, whether it's a question that they answer themselves or something they talk with other people with. Right. So for example, with your presentation on um, creating raving fans, you know, it might've been one, one of the key things that you were giving them as a tip on how to do something that's going to help them create raving fans and allowing them to just think, you know, brainstorm for, for three minutes here, you know, talk with your neighbor. What are some of the things that you could do starting, you know, next week when you get back to your home office? And they may not get the, you know, in three minutes, they may not solve that problem, so to speak, but they start, the wheels are turning and they're like, oh, you know, Pat said X, Y, and Z about this. Man, I, I haven't been doing that. Like, here's one thing that I could probably start doing that he gave as an example. And, you know, it's, they, they, they're going to walk away from that remembering what you told them versus you just dumping a bunch of information at them and saying, here you go, you know, have fun and, and good luck. Right. I mean, just the <laughs> fact that you and I are discussing this now, I mean, I did not do that in my presentation, but now I'm internalizing it. I'm thinking about how that or where that could be added in that particular presentation. Um, 
and obviously we just talked about how powerful that was. That is something I, I haven't ever done yet in a presentation is sort of pause and have people talk. I've seen it in other presentations. That could be uh, something cool to try out in my next one. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. So let's move on to the L in SPLAT. And the L stands for lectures. Now, lectures don't allow for learning. Oftentimes, we think of our brains as recording devices. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. So you can't just pour information into your audience's brains. They have to be given time to think. So we, we've touched upon this a little bit, but let's dive a little bit deeper. So Pat, how long do you think that the typical attention span is of an audience member? I would say 15 minutes. Close. Right now, it's about 10 minutes. And I think it's actually probably even getting a little bit closer to eight, seven or eight minutes. But uh, the latest research has shown that it's 10 minutes. Now, in this piece of research, I remember seeing a chart for a 60-minute class lecture that they were measuring attention. And at the beginning, you can see on the chart that the attention is very high. But then it drops dramatically after 10 minutes and then plateaued for the entire duration of that lecture until the last 10 minutes when the lecturer said something like, and in summary, and everybody's attention you know, jumped at that last moment because, oh, <laughs> in summary, this is what this is the good stuff I need to know right here. Right. So what you can do in your presentations is start to create these, you know, roughly 10 minute segments. Um, in fact, uh, some of the research is actually showing we should do five minutes of research. And then you follow that up with at least like a two to three minute discussion or some type of exercise. Or it could be just switching it up with uh, a video, maybe some audio. You know, these are all things, Pat, that you've done. You, you know, you typically have a lot of multimedia in your presentations. You do things that keep the interest throughout that presentation. You tell a story. You know, maybe you throw a quote in. You share something that is a change from just the standard spouting out facts and data and information. Right. If you, this, the equivalent to this in the blogging world is, uh, you know, you don't want to write a post that is all text, no paragraphs, just one long giant paragraph, no subheaders or anything like that. That's, that's the worst. And I know if I saw that, uh, it would be hard to read. It, I can't scan it and see what parts of it I, I, I should pay more attention to and I'd probably get bored and leave, right? Uh, and so the best thing to do on text with a blog is to obviously after a compelling header and a great intro is to have subtopics or sub headlines that pique people's interest that sort of break up each of those sections can have people reset but also including images also including quotes or pull out quotes and things like that that just we all know we tend to be more engaged when we read content like that and what Brian is saying here is exactly the same thing when it comes to speaking. You don't want to just lecture for an hour. Um, I wish all professors knew this. Um, I also wish my parents knew this when I did something wrong. You know, don't <laughs> lecture me. This is not the right way to teach me, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that that's, you know, 10-minute segments. That, that, that doesn't sound like it's very much time, but actually that, to me, sounds perfect and I think I do 
between five and 10 minutes. You know, I, I have different segments of the presentation and I'll often start out each one with something different, like a, a different multimedia. Actually, in this last presentation I did at Social Media Marketing World, I played a video at the beginning and then after about seven or eight minutes, I played an audio file actually, which was interesting enough because the presentation was about podcasting. It was the very first recording of my, verse, my voice online ever nice. back in 2008 when I said I wanted to start a podcast and I didn't start one until a year and a half after that. And you know, anyway, um, people love that presentation and I did that throughout. And I think maybe subconsciously I did that because I didn't want to speak about something for 50 minutes long. You know, I wanted to, as a speaker, break it up. And actually that makes it easier to memorize too. Yeah. Well, okay. So a couple of things here is your example analogy of the blog post is fantastic because none of us want to read a blog post that is just a long, you know, long, long, long paragraph. An essay. Yeah, an essay. Nobody wants to read. You look at that and you're like, oh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> How many of us have been sitting in a room where a presenter has essentially done that? They've gone on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And you just are like, oh, I can't, I can't focus. There's nothing here for me to hook onto. There's nothing for me to, you know, takeaway that I can remember. It's just kind of a, a dump of knowledge. And so being able to break it up this way is so good. And that's why, you know, I think like you, you said, some of the things that you do to naturally incorporate that into it, you're always changing things up. It's not like Chinese water torture. It's there's different dynamics to your presentation. And then the other thing is oh man, how easy is it to say, okay, well, I've got a 60-minute block of time here. Or you know, some of these concurrent breakout sessions can go for 90 minutes. I was just actually speaking at a conference in Palm Springs this last week, and it was a 90-minute session that they asked me to do. Wow. But I broke it up. I had literally like seven minutes of content that I would present, and then we would do like three to five minutes, and then I'd do another seven minutes, and then you know, ha- have the audience, you know, do something, an exercise, discussion, whatever. There was a big mixture of different things in there. Or I'd play a video, like a three-minute video. But for 90 minutes, oh man, it was so easy for me as the presenter to be able to step back and allow them Mm. to, you know, interact with the information versus me saying, okay, how am I going to fill 90 minutes? Right. Or how am I going to, you know, I, I, I could have a presentation that literally... From start to finish, I could deliver in 20 minutes, but through this technique, I can stretch it out to an hour, hour plus. So it's it's very freeing for you as a presenter to be able to leverage that as well. And your audience is going to love it. People will walk away from your presentation feeling like, oh my gosh, this, I've never been able to get so much great little nuggets of information that I remember from one session than I have it at this one. So it's very important. Cool. Um, the last thing I'll say is lectures have the lowest ROI for learning. And you know, you touched upon this, Pat. Remember studying in college? It was like, you know, did you learn from the lecture? No. You had to sit there and take notes the entire duration of class, if you were paying attention even that much. <laughs> and then you'd have to sit in the library and review the notes that you took on that lecture or somebody else's notes in the library. You know, it was like, no. For me, it was flashcards. <laughs> well, yeah, flashcards. But you, you had to actually go and learn it. Right, exactly. When you could have learned it in the course of that lecture if 
the professor would have used some of these techniques. So because I am not a recording device. <laughs> that is right. All right. I, although we, we are recording this right now. Yeah. So <laughs> for those of you who want to zone out, you'll zone out and you can come back later to minute uh, 30 something and, and you'll pick right back up where we left. <laughs> cool. No, this is great. This is great stuff, Brian. Let's, let's move on to what is it? P, uh, S-P-L-A. Yeah, we're at A. So A stands for um, all audiences are visual learners. Now, this is kind of mind blowing. The idea of different learning styles which we've all kind of heard of, you know, some of us are visual learners, some of us are uh, kinesthetic learners, which means, you know, we, we learn by touching and feeling things, or we're auditory learners, where we have to hear something in order to learn it. Well, this has been proven to be inaccurate. The science shows we're all visual learners. First and foremost, you know, mixtures of these different styles is important, but at the end of the day, it's all about the visuals. Hmm. So the latest science shows that 80% of our brain's processing power is dedicated to visuals. This is mind-blowing because how many of us have either seen the misuse of PowerPoint or misused PowerPoint ourselves with a headline, bullet, 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 bullet. Right. Death by PowerPoint. Yeah. So this is interesting because reading actually makes it difficult for us to engage with the information during the course of a presentation because essentially we have to process each letter as an image. And of course, you know, as we learn how to read from a young age onwards, it's only by rote repetition that the letters begin to mean certain words to us. So an example of this is, you know, Pat, if I was given a presentation and for whatever reason I decided to talk about pairs, maybe I'm giving a presentation on how to pick a pair. If I put a photo of pairs up on the screen, not only is it more visually interesting, but it's easier for the audience to process that than if I put the word pairs up on the screen. Right. So recognition doubles when you use images. Also, you know, six parts of the brain have been shown to be dedicated towards processing visuals, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. Right. Now, 10% is the retention or recall rate when you hear something. So if I listen to this podcast and I may be like, oh, I got some great information. But if I just listen to it, I'm only going to retain about 10%. Um, now, if I can combine that with visuals... I'll be able to recall 35% of the information. Actually, I should, I should restate that. If I just use a visual, I'll be able to recall 35% of it. Now, if I combine this, and if you were listening to this podcast and we also had you know, some type of visual slide running with it, you would be able to recall 60% of what was said and what was shown visually. So like a video, so, perhaps, exactly. or a webinar or something. And that's why videos are, are typically so powerful because that combination of those two things allows us to remember as much as 60% of the content that was shared. Mm. And that's why now, public speaking in front of, yes. you know, wit that combines all those things uh, is, is the best, if you can do the visuals correctly. Right. So, and now here's the thing is somebody may be saying, well, what if I give a presentation where I can't use visuals? I mean, I've been in those situations. Some I've 
voluntarily been in those situations. Other times I've, I've had the projector bulb burn out on me and I couldn't use my PowerPoint slide deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you essentially, you use stories, you use metaphors or allegory. You paint a picture in the mind of your audience. And that's how they will remember the information that you're sharing. So visuals are important. Not all of us are graphic designers that have you know, phenomenal skills at putting together these types of things. But the point is, you want to be able to create some type of visual, whether it's you know, imagined and, and you describe something with great detail, that they'll be like, oh yeah, that, that really sticks in my mind. And that's, that's why stories are so great, because when somebody's relaying a story, we, we play it out in our heads like a, a movie, essentially, in our mind's eye. We can see that very thing that they're explaining. Mm-hmm. Great. I love, I really, really love that. I think when people heard visual, um, some people were like, oh, I don't know Photoshop or I don't want to spend money to hire somebody. Um, and so I think a lot of people are really glad you said that. And I think even more powerful than actual visual slides is, is the visuals that are created in, like you said, the mind's eye when stories are told. That's why I say over and over again, I wrote about this back in 2008, stories are the most powerful marketing tool you can use and you think of any sort of successful marketing campaign there's always a stories behind it like jared from subway right <laughs> you, yes. you you could just simply say oh well you could lose a bunch of weight eating subway sandwiches every day or you can have this person tell his story about how he did it himself much more powerful much more memorable i mean we know him by name now jared from Subway. right yeah exactly it's it's so good and in you know, Pat, I, I know you've got a background as an architect and you, you do a lot of really great things with your visuals because you have more of that artistic inclination than, than a lot of us do. But you, you hit the nail on the head that there are so many other ways that you can creatively weave this stuff into your presentation that appeals to the visual aspect of our brains and our minds. And that's the key. You don't have to worry about creating some fancy slide deck or you know, hiring a company to do something that might cost you a few hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars. It's like, no, there are simple ways to use visuals, whether you're actually using a PowerPoint or not. So very important. Right. For me, I, I would love to approach every presentation. I mean, I've been trying to with zero bullet points mm-hmm. and actually, if the slide projector were to go down, I would still want to be able to deliver just as powerful as a as a presentation so not even having to rely on the on the slides at all and that 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 teaches me to put more stories in because you know the and i used to actually script all of my presentations but i found that it just becomes more robotic that way it's a waste of time and i lose a lot of the natural you know goodness of what might come out in a in a in a presentation where i'm just sharing a story because you know when you talk to a friend for example you don't tell you don't write down exactly what you're going to say about that story you just tell it and it sounds you know people people are more in tune with that and they can visualize better what you're talking about anyway i just i'm in love with all of this because i'm very deep into public speaking right now and again this doesn't just apply to speaking on stage this is in a podcast this is yeah, on webinars. video webinars yeah, webinars videos all of those different mediums you bottom line is you're interacting with an audience of people you're investing your time, your energy, your resources into creating this content, you want people to learn something from it so that they can take action. And whatever that end result is, whether you you just have a passion for sharing that knowledge or if you're trying to monetize that knowledge, like whatever it is, the end goal is, bottom line, you want them to learn, you want them to take action. And these are the ways that you can start 
applying these principles to whatever it is that you're doing to get that audience engagement. Awesome. Cool. All right. So we got one more to go. The T in SPLAT stands for talking and talking is learning. This is how information gets retained and really, you know, talking helps our retention and also allows us to elicit feedback. And you can, Pat, you can kind of see as we've, we've gone down this list, a lot of these interact and, and kind of weave together with one another. We touched upon talking uh, a little bit earlier on, mm-hmm. but this is really one of the most critical aspects. So the latest brain science shows that our brain can hold five pieces of information for about 30 seconds. Now, it used to be seven. It's now down to five. Really? Yeah, it used to be seven because that's why phone numbers are seven. Exactly. You'd have an area digits. code and then, and then uh, seven digits. Well, it's easy to remember the area code, but you had the seven digits. And so now it's five now. It's really bad. And how many of us can't even remember phone numbers because they're just they're in, in our, our smartphones, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think somebody so, I was like, I asked him what his phone number was, what his phone number was. And he's like, hold on, let me get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's really bad. Really, really bad. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, I mean, I, honestly, my parents, I talk to them every single day, um, usually, or at least multiple times a week. I don't know what their phone numbers are off the top of my head. It's really sad. But, you know, th- this, this number is dropping because we're outsourcing our, our brains to mm-hmm. these devices. So right now it's five. In order for something to stay in our brain, first, it has to be repeated. And when it's repeated, it will move to working memory. If it doesn't, it will disappear and we will forget it. So the brain neuron is waiting for this repeat signal before it resets itself. Now, if something is repeated, it will move into working memory for 60 minutes. Hmm. When you talk, you're processing the information out loud and you're also hearing yourself process that information. So Pat, I'm sure you know. maybe you've said to uh, a colleague that you've been working on a project with or something, you go to them and you say, hey, uh, John, I've really got a problem. Do you have 15 minutes to talk? I'd really like to bounce an idea off of you or get your opinion. And he's like, sure. And you start talking, you talk your way through it. And at the end, you say, wow, John, that totally solved my problem. Thanks so much for talking with me about this. John's like, I didn't say anything. So it's because you went through that that exercise of right. just kind of getting it out, talking it through, and then your brain was able to say, aha, this is what I need to do. So, of course, the brain science shows that talking is really important. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, imagine, yeah. I'm just remembering a number of different stories <laughs> that have happened in, uh, in my mastermind groups. Actually, oftentimes, a lot of us are in the hot seat, and we tell everyone else in the group something that's bothering us or a question that we might need answered. And as we're explaining it, You'll and I do this too. We'll we'll hear the person explaining it actually say what the answer is themselves, and they'll be like, "I just answered my own question, didn't I?" Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's that exercise of having to to go through that to verbalize it, to hear yourself verbalize it, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, I got it, I got it, <laughs> I'm good." So yeah, by asking your audience very strategic questions. They have to think. They, they can no longer be passive participants in that presentation. And that's where you don't have to be so 
like, hey, we're going to do group interactive exercises because as we mentioned, that's going to turn people off. But just asking a simple little question. Sometimes you can just ask a rhetorical type of a question or give them just a moment to reflect on that. Uh, I actually did that recently in this uh, presentation I mentioned last week where I presented something and I gave them just a minute just to internalize it, think about it themselves before we moved on to the next thing. So they're going to analyze what they're already doing. So they've come to this session, your keynote, your webinar, whatever it is, wanting to solve a problem. They're going to start to analyze, okay, what am I already doing? This is not working. How can this apply to what it is that I am doing so that I can start to go a new direction that is going to get me out of this rut that I'm in and, and achieve that end goal. So this is how we do it is through talking. And it's very, very important to allow that, to build that in. Um, you know, even if you're, do, if you're on a webinar, which is really hard to get audience engagement, just pause briefly and ask a question. And you'll get people that start you know, replying into the little comment box and you know, aha, all right, people are paying attention, people are thinking about this, they're internalizing it, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so smart. I mean, you don't necessarily have to interact directly with each and every individual in order for them to actually have some sort of interaction with you. Yeah. Um, and seriously, the talking is absolutely crucial, whether it's in their head or to each other at the presentation or... You know, for me, I mean, that's why I'm in three mastermind groups. I love to talk about this stuff because that's how I'm learning and internalizing everything and how I can discover what to do next. And I, I think asking questions, so, so powerful. Rhetorical questions, understanding where to put those pauses in so people do have time to think about those. Um, that way they don't have time to think about, well, I wonder what my friend said on Twitter or on Facebook. Exactly. Well, and one of the previous researchers that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I've, I've kind of called all this information from, I remember, I remember if, if I heard them talk or I, it was something I read that they had written, um, they said, the person who does the talking does the learning. And usually that's us as the presenter. We know our stuff because we've been talking about it and maybe we've talked about it numerous times. But the audience just sitting there staring at you, they're not going to be learning anything until you give them those opportunities, those moments woven throughout your, your presentation to interact with what it is that you've shared. Love it. And that, again, can apply for blog posts, for podcast episodes like this one, and videos, and of course, public speaking. I'm even thinking about when I teach my kids stuff. I, yeah. I teach him by letting him talk things through, actually. You know, he'll ask me a ton of, like, a billion questions a day, right? He's at that age. <laughs> and usually what I say is, well, what do you think? Why, why do you think it's like that? Or wh how, how, you know, t you tell me, you know, and, and it gets him to talk and discover things. And, um, you know, if I just told him the answer every single time myself, he wouldn't be talking and he wouldn't necessarily remember those things as well. Yeah. Well, for those of you, um, and Pat, yourself included, that have kids, definitely check out this book, by Dr. John Medina. It's called Brain Rules for Baby. Brain so it's Rules a for Baby. Yeah. He wrote a book called Brain Rules, uh, which I've read. It's a very, very good book. I would recommend it to all of you. But for parents, he's got one specifically for you know those of you that have kids. So Brain Rules for Babies. Cool. 
Awesome. So that's S-P-L-A-T. Again, to recap all of those things, S, safety allows for learning. P, problem solving. L, lectures. You don't want to lecture. Mm. A, all audiences are visual learners. And T, talking is one of the best ways to actually learn. Yes. So to close this out, I want to mention this is not a complete list of current brain science research, not by any stretch of the imagination. However, these five principles will move you in a direction to where your information that you're sharing will stick like glue in the minds of your audience. That's the key. And when that happens, that's when you know that learning has occurred. When people come up to you either immediately after the presentation or later that day or the next day or they email you a week later and they relay how that information has helped them or at least got them thinking about solutions to their problems, that's powerful. Absolutely. I mean, the more you can teach, the more you can get people to learn using these strategies like we talked about today, the more value you're going to have in that person's life. And, you know, as I always say, a byproduct of that, of doing that is earnings and change and authority and trust. So, Brian, thank you so much for all of this wonderful education here. S-P-L-A-T is something we'll definitely remember. Go on over to the show notes. You'll get the exact link for the show notes after I hang up with Brian here. Brian, where can people find out more about you and what you do and um, perhaps even your Twitter handle too so people can hook up with you? Yeah, for sure. So go to whatthespeak.com. You can check out um, all the latest podcast episodes there as well as the archive of episodes we're right now uh, in around episode 50-something. There's some really amazing uh, stories there from speakers like Chris Brogan, Michael Hyatt, Pat Flynn himself, uh, Derek Halpern, all sorts of great, fantastic people that have amazing stories to share about their expertise, their experiences with public speaking. And then also on Twitter, you can check me out. It's at whatthespeak. And I will definitely respond to you if you hit me up there. Awesome, Brian. Thank you again so much for your time with us today. Um, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Pat. All right. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Brian Kelly from whatthespeak.com. As always, show notes, the resources, and links for this episode are available on the blog at smartpassiveincome.com slash session one. Zero five, And if you have a question maybe that you'd like answered, uh, you can head on over to askpat.com. That's actually the home for my other podcast where I answer voicemail questions from people like you. And so far we're up to, you know, around episode 60, we're approaching 1 million downloads, which is really weird how I said that very Austin Powers like uh anyway uh it's just a gr- it's just going very well so if you have any questions head on over there and of course I want to mention today's sponsor which is a different sponsor than what you've heard in the last eight episodes so pay attention <laughs> this sponsor is one that I've worked with several times before I'm very happy with the results each time I've used this company I've used this on my niche sites I've used this on my iPhone app business and I've always recommended it to people who are looking to get designs done in any aspect for your website. So this company is 99designs.com. 
Com. This is the world's largest graphic design marketplace, and it's really cool because if you have anything that you need done from logos to landing pages to uh, any sort of designs, you might need t-shirt designs even or banner ads, whatever, you can post your requirements or what you would like to see, and then designers from around the globe will submit their awesome designs, and you give them feedback, you vote on the best ones, and then you know, it's almost like a competition to make your perfect design, uh, and then you can pick your your gorgeous new design after that. So whatever the case may be, whatever you might need design-wise, head on over to 99designs.com slash SPI. That would help let them know that you came from this show. Again, 99designs.com slash SPI. And what you'll get is a $99 power pack of services free as a result of going through that link. So thank you so much to 99designs for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to all of you who have listened. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you so much. And if you have a second, head on over to iTunes. And if you're not subscribed, you can subscribe to the show there. Uh, You can also subscribe on Stitcher as well. And, um, you know, leave a review. Leave an honest review for the show. It really motivates me. I go in there every day and look for new reviews. So uh, I want to see it. And you can leave your URL there if you want to. If That'll give you a little bit of, of incentive uh, to, to do that. So thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. Again, show notes available, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 105. And uh, our sponsor, 99designs.com slash SPI. Cheers. Thank you so much. And have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.